we're going to get into the teaching of the Word. And the teaching series is called Eyes on the Prize. And we're using Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press on towards the goal of the upward, upward, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized he hadn't arrived yet, but he didn't want to miss out on anything that God had laid a hold of him for. And so he was going to press on to accomplish all that God had intended for his life. And so as a church, we want to do the same thing. We want to accomplish everything we've been intended for as a church. And so we're going to put our eyes on the prize. We're going to see the goal, and we're going to see the vision, and we're going to press on together as a church to accomplish that. And so we've been using this teaching series to frame the vision and to frame the the core values of, of who we are as a church. And so we've looked at things like every person matters. We want to have a passion that if every person matters to God, then they should matter to us. And we want to have a passion for people. We looked at a team of teams. That, that as a church, we want to uh, be raising up leaders who can do ministry. And though we're one big team as a church, we'll have lots of small teams doing ministry with lots of team captains overseeing those teams. Why? Because when we all work together, we're all releasing our gifts. And we're going to be way more effective together as the people of God. So if you've missed any of the stuff we've talked about so far, you can go listen to all those messages on our website. But today we're going to talk about another aspect of our our vision or another core value that we're going to aspire to, and that is a disciple-making church, a disciple-making church. Most people who have gone to church for any length of time in their lives is familiar with the term discipleship. But this new term, disciple-making, is is kind of pressing discipleship to a new level. And so we're going to define this term today, what we're talking about. And we want to look at what is it going to take and what does it look like to be a disciple-making church. And so here's our thesis. Here's our whole sermon boiled down to, to one sentence. And that is the mission of the local church is to replicate followers of Christ through evangelism and discipleship. The mission of the local church is to replicate followers of Christ through evangelism and discipleship. So you can see in your notes, and your notes are on the inside of your bulletin, we've got a few uh, scriptures that we want to kind of dive into and and unpack today. The first one is 2 Timothy 2.2. And anytime I teach on discipleship, I go right to 2 Timothy 2.2 because I just think it paints just the best picture of replication through discipleship. It says this, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And why I love this verse is because in this one sentence, you have four generations of discipleship. Four generations of discipleship. It starts with Paul, right? Paul is the one who is is writing this letter to Timothy. And so Paul is discipling Timothy. And then he tells Timothy, the things that I have poured into you, I want you now to go and disciple faithful men. And then what will those faithful men do? They will teach others. So right there, you've got Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. You've got four generations of discipleship at work. And so as we talk about this concept of a disciple-making church, 
One of the goals for all of us in church is that we would have four generations of discipleship at work in our lives. Four generations of discipleship at work in our lives. And you say, well, well, how does that work? Well, it starts with you, right? You're one of the generations of discipleship. But we're going to put you in the place of Timothy in that chart that was on the screen. That means that we need a Paul, which we're going to refer to using kind of a family metaphor. We need either a spiritual mother or a spiritual father who is discipling us. We need somebody who is discipling us and pouring into us. And no matter how old we get or how long we've been following Jesus or or how mature we are in the faith, we never move beyond the need of having a spiritual father or mother who's discipling us and pouring into our lives. And that starts at the top with me. And I have, I have a pastor, Bob McGregor, who is a spiritual father who continues to disciple me. In fact, we were just on the phone with him on Friday morning having a counseling session with him so that he could pour into our lives. And so if you look at your life and you say, well, I can't really think of, a, of a, anybody who's discipling me, then your first challenge in this process is to go find somebody to disciple you. Find somebody and ask them if they will be a spiritual father or mother in your life. Now, we're using that terminology, but that doesn't mean that they have to be a lot older than you. It might mean somebody who's the same age as you, that maybe they're just a little further along in the journey than you are. You know, Steve Merle, uh, who who built the, 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 the Victory Church in Philippines, this is his philosophy for what it takes to have somebody disciple you. They just have to be one chapter ahead of you. That's it. Doesn't matter how old they are. They just have to be one chapter ahead of you. So if you're trying to figure out John chapter 1, they just have to be on John chapter 2. And that means they're qualified to pour into your life because they're at least one chapter ahead of you. So the first step in this process is you got to find somebody who will disciple you and pour into your life. And then... You've got to find a spiritual son or daughter. You've got to find somebody that you're going to pour into their life. And then as you've been pouring into their life, they've got to find somebody to begin pouring their life into, which would become basically like a spiritual grandson or a spiritual granddaughter to you. And so you see, we've got four generations. You've got somebody discipling you, you're discipling somebody, and that somebody is discipling somebody, and you've got four generations of discipleship at work in your life. And so what that means is this, the discipleship cycle is not complete until your disciple is making disciples. All right, let me say that again so so you catch that. The discipleship cycle is not complete until your disciple is making disciples. David Early, who is a a pastor of of Grace City Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, he wrote a book on disciple-making. And in his book, he kind of fleshed out these three stages of of, of discipleship that you see in Jesus and his disciples. And uh, because he's a good Baptist, he alliterated it. So they all start with these um, because that's a spiritual gift of Baptists is to alliterate everything. And so... um, So the first D was declaration, which means they became followers of Jesus. They declared that Jesus is Lord. The second level was development. 
And that's where they immersed their life into Jesus and were developed as apprentices in ministry with Jesus. And then the third level is what he called deployment, and that is where Jesus sent them out as global ambassadors of the gospel. So you had level one, level two, and level three. But here's the profound thing that David Early said. He said this, what if Jesus had stopped at level one? What would have happened to Christianity after Jesus ascended into heaven? Christianity would not have spread throughout the world. In fact, it probably would have disappeared soon after that first generation of believers had died. So David Early asked this question, so why is Christianity on a steep decline in North America? Could it be that in part we have failed to take people all the way through the process? We've stopped too soon. We failed to move people beyond level one. And so we figured, well, they declared Jesus as Lord, so we've done enough. No, discipleship is not complete until your disciple is making disciples. And so the challenge is that we stop thinking level one is enough. There's a lot more work to be done. Matthew 28 18 through 20, very famous passage of Scripture, the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples disciples. And so this is where we get the term disciple making. And so in your notes, let's define disciple making. What are we talking about here? Well, disciple making involves both evangelism and discipleship. So you see, disciple making is intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus. That's evangelism. And teaching them to obey His commandments. That's discipleship. And so disciple-making requires both. It requires evangelism, and it requires discipleship. I think where a lot of churches have struggled is we focus on doing one or the other. And we feel like we need to do one or the other, and, or we even use the excuse, well, we're really good at one, so, so we don't do the other. But Steve Merle of, of Victory Church there in the Philippines, he referred to it as conjoined twins, right, or, or what we refer to as Siamese twins. And so conjoined twins are a set of twins that are born connected, and generally uh, they share some vital organs. And so it's, it's, it's generally either really difficult or impossible to separate them because they share vital organs together, right? And we call them Siamese twins. I don't know if you knew this, but in the 1800s, there were these conjoined brothers who began to travel around the world, and they became the most famous set of conjoined twins in the world, and they were from Siam. And so that's why we started calling them Siamese twins. Steve Merle says this, that separating evangelism and discipleship is like separating conjoined twins. You usually end up killing both of them. You usually end up killing both of them. I want to picture it like this. And in fact, God gave me this picture 
last weekend when I was out paddleboarding. So we got, we got paddleboarding up there. I got this picture that doing evangelism and discipleship is like paddling on both sides of your board. Because what happens when you only paddle on one side of your board? You go in circles, right? You got to paddle on both sides of your board so that you actually go somewhere. If we just paddle on one side, we just go in a circle. And so if we're a church that says, well, we just do evangelism really well, so we do lots of evangelism, and we only paddle on the evangelism side of our board, and so we do lots of outreaches, and we always ask people to receive Jesus, and we always lead people in the sinner's prayer, but we never do any discipleship, we're just really good at evangelism. We're just going in circles. Or we paddle on the other side of the board. Oh, our church, we're just about discipleship. We just do discipleship really well. So we do lots of Bible studies, and we do lots of classes, and we just keep teaching the same group of Christians over and over again. But we're not going anywhere because we're paddling in a circle. Disciple-making requires both evangelism and discipleship. We paddle on both sides of the board so that we actually get somewhere. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul shares his passion about discipleship. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Other translations might say mature in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his purpose, which my, his power, which mightily works within me. Paul was passionate about presenting people before Christ as mature followers of Christ, developing that completeness in their life. He wanted to see that transformation. In fact, it says there in your notes, discipleship is not the transfer of information. It is the transformation of one's life. Too many times in church, we, we, we've boiled discipleship down to a class. Well, if you just complete the class, then you've done discipleship. If you just read this book, then you've done discipleship. But discipleship is not the, tra the transfer of information. It's the transformation of somebody's life. And that doesn't just happen in a classroom. That happens when we walk through life with people. And we teach them how to overcome their struggles and how to change their behaviors. And most importantly, how to be obedient to God. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. And then it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded or teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That means if people aren't obeying, then they're not being discipled. If there's not a radical transformation in their behavior, if there's not a shift in their lifestyle, then they're not being discipled because it doesn't just say to teach them. It says to teach them to obey. And Paul didn't say that I strive with everything within me to finish this Bible study. No, he says I strive with everything within me to present a mature follower before Jesus. So yes, classroom teaching helps and classroom teaching is important. But discipleship is about so much more than that. Chris Volatin of, of Bethel Church, he says this. 
He says, we have been taught way beyond our level of obedience. As Christians, we just want more Bible studies. Teach me more. But we're not being obedient to what we've already been taught. And how will we know if somebody's being obedient? When they're sharing the gospel, winning people for Jesus, and discipling somebody else. That's why the discipleship cycle isn't complete until your disciple is making disciples. So in your notes, I've got five characteristics of a disciple-making church. And at Kauai Bible Church, we're not there yet. But these five characteristics, this is where we want to get to. We want this to define who we are as we become a disciple-making church. The first one is this. Disciple-making is motivated by a passion for the lost. It's got to start there. It's got to start there. It doesn't matter. We could have the best programs. We could have the best pipeline. I think we do have an amazing pipeline, right? I think, I think we do have a, a great setup, but none of that matters if we aren't passionate for the lost. There was a French, uh, French writer and poet named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he was a writer in the early 1900s, and he wrote this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Right? If you want someone to build a boat, don't just keep trying to whip them up to build a boat. Make them passionate about the ocean, and they'll build a boat themselves. So if we want a disciple-making culture, it's not about whipping you up to get started on the pipeline we've created. It's about giving you a passion for the lost. And if you've got a passion for the lost, you'll reach them, and you'll take them through the pipeline. In Romans chapter 9, Paul wrote this in verses 2 and 3. He said, For I could wish great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul was writing here that he was so brokenhearted for the Jews that didn't know Jesus that he was willing to trade in his own salvation if it meant he could win some of them for Jesus. Now we know that's not biblical and we know that Paul didn't trade in his own salvation, but he was willing to because that's how passionate he was and that's how brokenhearted he was. Every day he was weeping for his lost kinsmen. That's the passion that needs to be birthed in our hearts to become a disciple-making church. Let's begin to yearn for the sea so that we'll build boats. Let's begin to yearn for people so that we'll make disciples. Number two in your notes is this. Disciple-making is the ministry of the church, not a ministry in the church. Let me say that again. Disciple-making is the ministry of the church, not a ministry in the church. See, a lot of times what will happen is you'll start talking with a church about discipleship, and they'll say, oh, yeah, we've got a discipleship ministry. 
And we also have a children's ministry and a youth ministry and a women's ministry and a men's ministry and a food pantry ministry and, and on and on and on. But listen, discipleship is not just one ministry among many in the church. Discipleship is the ministry of the church. So the only reason we have a children's ministry is because it makes us more effective in making disciples out of our children. The only reason we have a youth ministry is because it makes us more effective in making disciples out of our teenagers. The only reason we would have a men's ministry or a women's ministry is because it would make us more effective in making disciples out of our men or out of our women. Disciple making is the ministry of the church. Any ministry that we want to do in the church has to come back to, well, is it making disciples? And that means that church leaders are focused on the continual coaching and raising up of leaders and the continual sustaining of disciple-making groups and the disciple-making pipeline. It becomes the focus of what the leadership team is doing. Why? Because disciple-making is the ministry of the church. It's what Jesus called us to do. So that leads us to number three then, which is disciple-making is the filter for every decision that we make. Disciple-making is the filter for every decision that we make. So as a church leadership, as we gather together and we have to make important decisions about the direction of the church, the filter for those important decisions is what's going to help us make more disciples? If we go this way or if we go this way, what's going to help us make more disciples? If we start looking at the money and the church budgets, every dollar that is spent, is it helping us make more disciples? Is it making us more effective at disciple-making? Disciple-making becomes the filter for every decision and every process that we go through. Number four, disciple-making mobilizes everyone in the church. Disciple-making mobilizes everyone in the church. Why? Because disciple-making is something that everyone can be a part of. We all find ourselves in that chart for the four generations of discipleship. Like I said, if we're not being discipled, first thing we got to do is find someone to disciple us. And then as we're being discipled, we find someone else to disciple. And we raise them up until they're discipling someone else. And then we find somebody else to disciple. We all can do this. It doesn't matter if you're 6 or 96. You can be mobilized in disciple making. Part of this will be that prayer and fasting become significantly entrenched in what we do as a church because we're asking God and we're fasting for God to help us, empower us for the mission of reaching as many as possible. And so fasting and prayer become entrenched. And it doesn't matter how young or old you are, doesn't matter how gifted you are, we can all fast and pray together. And we can all be mobilized and then everyone understands both the mission of disciple-making and the method of disciple-making. And here at Kauai Bible, we've been working hard for everyone to understand the mission and the method. Right? The mission is to reach as many people as God has called us to reach. The method is to encounter God through our Sunday services, belong in community through our belong groups, build our faith through our rooted groups, and engage in service through ministry teams. 
We're making it as clear as possible. So clear, in fact, that we're making a huge sign and we're going to stick it on the wall back there so that we see it every time we walk into this room. It becomes clear. Everyone understands the, the mission and the method. And everyone understands that they're a part of serving it. I read this from Wayne Cordero who built New Hope Church that started on Oahu and now has spread all over the world. They had a phrase. It is, we did it together. And what he did is he created a culture where everybody in the church understood that they were a part of the mission. And so he would would go to people on Sunday and and he would say, do you know what you're doing? And they would say, well, I'm, I'm setting up a speaker for church. He says, no. You're helping win people for Jesus because we're doing this together. And then he would go into the nursery and find somebody changing a diaper. And he would say, do you know what you're doing? And they'd be like, I'm changing a diaper. And he would say, no, you're helping win people for Jesus because we're doing this together. And everybody was mobilized because everything was connected to winning souls. And so at Kauai Bible Church, we all get mobilized Because we understand the mission and we understand the method and we begin to find ways that we can serve the church to make the church more effective. Right? And so I'd go to Antonio and say, Antonio, you're not just making slideshows and putting slides up on the screen. You're a part of our mission for making disciples because you're creating an environment at church that makes it easy for people to worship and learn the word and encounter God. Right? We would find our nursery workers. We'd Janelle and, and Auntie Joy and, and, and all of the different people that serve in the nursery and say, you know what? You're a part of making disciples. Why? Because you're creating a place where people can leave their babies so that they can come into church and focus on being raised up in the Word. So the disciple-making mobilizes everyone in the church that we're all doing this together. We understand the mission and the method, and we're finding our part in that. And then number five, disciple-making results in church growth and church planting. A disciple-making church can't help but grow. Because we're reaching people for Jesus and we're making them disciples and more people are joining the church. And not only are more people joining the church, but the people that are already engaged in the pipeline aren't leaving the church. Because they're experiencing life transformation and because they're engaged in something that's bigger than themselves. And then as this passion rises for the lost and the more passionate we get about making disciples, we realize that this vision is so much bigger than Kauai. And God begins to speak to our hearts that we can take this vision and we can take this pipeline to other islands, to other countries, to other states, to other cities. And so we start planting churches because we just can't help but want to reach more people. And so disciple making results in church growth and church planting. Mike Breen, who is a, a, a British pastor, and he's also written lots of books on disciple making. He says this. He says, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you try to make a church, you rarely get disciples. Effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. Too many times as church leaders, we've tried to run off and build the church with great programs or great strategies, when in reality what we should be doing is making disciples. And if we make disciples, we can't help but build the church. 
It'll happen naturally. David Platt, who is a pastor down in, in uh, Louisiana and Alabama, and he's also written many books on discipleship. He said, it makes little sense for us to keep asking, what do you want me to do, God? If you read the Bible, the answer is clear. The will of God for you and for me is to give our lives urgently and recklessly to make the gospel and the glory of God known among all peoples. That's what he wants us to do. Let me invite the the worship team to come back up today. So let's put this into practical application. We want to be a disciple-making church where everyone in the church can identify four generations of discipleship in their life. But we're not there yet. This is where we go back to Philippians chapter 3 where Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't obtained anything. I haven't obtained anything yet. And so as a church, we can say we're not there yet. We're not a disciple-making church yet. We can't identify all those generations of discipleship in our lives. But this is where we want to get to. So what do we have to do? we got to start pressing forward. we got to start somewhere. So where do we start? Well, as I was praying for this message this week, these were just a few ideas that God put upon my heart. I want to share with you. How can we get started? First, start praying for a passion for the lost. If you can get through a day in your life, without experiencing grief in your heart over somebody who's going to hell, then we need to pray more, right? We need to pray more. And so we start praying. We say, I don't know, my heart's still not broken. Well, then let's pray more, and let's keep praying, and let's not stop praying until every day we feel grief in our heart over somebody who's going to hell. Let's pray for a passion for the lost, Second thing, let's start to look for ways that we can serve to make the church more effective at disciple-making. Start looking around the church. Where is there a gap? Where is something not getting done? Maybe you have an idea that would make our church more welcoming to somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Maybe you can think of a way that would make our church more engaging for somebody who's new to Christ and needs to be engaged in discipleship. There's a way to serve, and there's a hole, there's a gap in our church. You could look around, and you could see that gap. And you could step up to the leadership team and say, hey, I'd like to fill that gap. I want to be mobilized for disciple-making. I know I can do this. The next thing is, enter into someone's life who doesn't follow Christ. Remember, we read our our definition of disciple-making is intentionally entering into somebody's life to help them know and follow Jesus. So what does that mean? That means we have to intentionally enter into somebody's life, knowing in our hearts that our mission for entering into their life is to display the glory of God, that they might know and follow Jesus. So we need to start looking around our lives and saying, where can I intentionally enter into somebody's life? That means I have to start investing time into them. I have to start investing my emotions into them. Because I want them to follow Christ. That might mean you have to join an activity that they do, even if it's not an activity that you do. Make sure it's not a sinful activity now. Let's not not misinterpret Scripture here. Well, their activity is they get drunk at the bar on Fridays, so I figured I'd start getting drunk at the bar on Fridays with them. No. 
Don't do that. But intentionally enter into somebody's life. The fourth one is start using the church fellowship events as an opportunity to invite people into community. So look at next Sunday. We're having a big game party. I can't say the name of the game because it's trademarked and this will be streamed on our podcast. But you know what game I'm talking about. We're having a big game party next Sunday. That's a perfect time to bring somebody. They're going to watch it anyway. So bring them to church. Let them have fun with us and watch it. Check the church calendar for Ohana nights and bring somebody. Use the belong groups. Invite somebody to come, and whether it's a home group or it's an activity belong group, use the belong groups as a way to draw somebody in community. And the last one is start being bold about sharing your faith. Start being bold about sharing your faith. I was so proud of Mark and Val. We, uh, we were taking an Uber together on, I guess that was Wednesday night. We were taking an Uber together. And uh, we get into the Uber, and they immediately strike up a conversation with a young lady who's driving. And the first thing they do to strike up the conversation is they say, so do you go to church? And then they say, we go to church. We're church people. And they start telling her about Jesus. It's amazing. And it wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward. It just flowed so naturally. We got to start being bold about sharing our faith. We don't have to be embarrassed of it. We don't have to be weird about it. Just tell people, this is what I believe. This is what changed my life. It can change your life too. Start being bold about sharing our faith. Will you stand with me? Let me invite the prayer team to come forward today. We've used a lot of metaphors today, but I want to leave you with one last metaphor in your mind. And that is the difference between a bucket and a channel. Right? A bucket's goal is to collect water and store it for itself. A channel's goal is to move that water from one place to another so that others can receive the water. So the challenge today is that God did not intend us as a church and God did not intend us as individuals to be buckets. God bless me so that I can hold more. God pour into my life. Pour into my life. Be good to me, God, so that I can collect all this goodness for myself. No, God did not intend us to be buckets. He intended us to be channels. That the Spirit of God at work in our lives, the favor of God moving in our life, the blessing of, our, of God in our lives is meant to be moved so that it can touch somebody else's life. The call of God is to be buckets and not channels. It's to be a disciple-making church. God, take this word today and stir it in our hearts. God, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived Oh, but Lord, this is our vision and our passion. This is what you have placed upon our hearts, a disciple-making church, four generations of discipleship in all of our lives. Help us to start somewhere, Lord. Speak to each one of us right now and just give us one starting place, one new thing that we can do to start moving in the direction. Is it finding a spiritual mother or father to disciple us? Is it praying for a passion for the lost? 
Is it getting involved and getting mobilized and making our church more effective? Is it entering into someone's life to share Christ with them? Is it an Acts chapter 4 kind of prayer where we pray for boldness to share our faith and God shakes the walls and we go out and share our faith? God, show us where we're supposed to start. Challenge us to start. Call us to start, Lord. Help us to catch this vision and let this vision begin to spread. Lord, we're going to make disciples and you're going to grow the church. God, we're going to make disciples and you're going to send some of those disciples out to plant churches all over the world. God, we're going to make disciples and you're going to come in and you're going to transform this island never to be the same again. We're going to be a disciple-making church, Lord. I want to invite you to come forward today and receive prayer. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, but what you've heard today, what you've experienced today in church makes you want to be a part of God's family. You want to be a part of what God is doing. It's really simple. You've sinned. You've made a lot of mistakes in your life. And those sins have separated you from God. And there is nothing that you can do to make up for that separation. So God made up for it instead. He sent His Son Jesus to come to this earth and to die on our behalf to pay the price for our every sin. So all we have to do is repent of that sin, which means turn away from it and declare Jesus to be the leader of our lives. And if we do that... Our every sin is forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. And we start to grow together with God's family. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come forward and ask one of these people to pray for you as you make a decision to receive Christ. Maybe this message has stirred your heart and you need a greater passion for the lost. Or you want to catch this vision for discipleship. Or you want to be a part of what God is doing to change this island. Then come forward and join together with us in prayer. And we'll pray for you. Let's get that, that passion stirring in your life. Or if you've got any need at all. You need healing. You need restoration. You need provision. Whatever you need. Come forward and receive prayer. Let's worship together today. Let's seal up all the great things God has done today. Let's set the atmosphere for ministry as people come forward. Come even now and receive prayer.